I don't watch uh, many commercials these days, but I remember back in the day, uh, I used to watch some commercials, and there were these commercials on the TV, and maybe you are familiar with this kind of commercial of a uh, prescription medications and all sorts of medications that they advertise on TV, but the, the ads always follow the same format. They always begin with questions of a list of symptoms. Do you have this problem? Do you feel this way? I remember one uh, uh, commercial that said, do you feel lonely even in a crowd? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, actually, I kind of do feel lonely in a crowd sometimes, you know? Uh, so, so these uh, advertisements are, is this happening to you? Do you feel this way? Well, then, of course, the answer is that you need this particular medicine. And so that's how I want to start our lesson today, is by giving you some symptoms and asking you if you have these symptoms. Do you ever get irritated with people? Do you sometimes find people frustrating? Do you find it sometimes hard to love people? Do people's weaknesses and immaturities and foibles and failings, do they sometimes get to you? Are you the type of person that you might say you would rather spend time with pets than people? I saw someone once wore a shirt that said that I'd rather be with my dog. That person did not like being around people very much. Well, if you have any of those symptoms, uh, we need to go to Dr. Sibs. That's what he was called. He was called the Heavenly Doctor, uh, the Sweet Dropper. Uh, his words, his sermons and books were sweet medicine for people's souls. And so this is what we need to look at today. We're uh, going to look at chapter 4 of The Bruised Reed as we continue going through this book. Today's lesson, we're going to focus on how we deal with the weaknesses or maybe the frustrations that people cause towards us. How do we deal with one another? How do we deal with other people? So that's what this lesson's about. Now remember that this is all based on Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, that says Christ will not break a bruised reed and he will not uh, snuff out a smoking flax or he will not quench the smoldering wick, so that image of a, of a wick, of a candle with a spark on it, he's not going to snuff it out. And last time when we were in chapter 3 of the book, Sibs was talking about uh, the, the smoldering wick as the immature Christian, someone who has little grace and a lot of sin, a lot of corruption. They're Christians, but they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of sin. And so they don't have a lot of good fruit. And so he was telling us about what the smoking flax was in chapter 3. Now in chapter 4, he talks a little bit about how Christ deals with those people. But I found it very interesting that he really spends most of the chapter on us and how we are to deal with those people. So Christ deals with them this way, and we'll look at that a little bit. But he spends most of his time talking about then how we are to be like Christ in dealing with people who have immaturities and failings and who might frustrate us. And so that's what he focuses on in the, in the chapter. Now before we get into the 
writing of what Sib says and the verses that he mentions, I want to just uh, emphasize how important this is. Uh, because you might think, okay, this is very basic, this is very simple, but we need to remember how important this is and how important it is to live it out. Um, so let's first think about what's at stake. What's at stake if we don't do what Sibs, the doctor, is going to prescribe? Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of you, uh, but it is always uh, good to remind ourselves of, of this chapter. And I'll read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. So what is at stake? Well, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And we'll stop there. So, so what's at stake? Well, Paul says everything is at stake. If we're going to apply this to our church, we can say the church is at stake. The whole church. Uh, you can have many things in the church, but if you have not love as a church, you have nothing as a church. And so we need to be sure as a church that uh, among the many other things that are important, we make sure that we have love. So Paul mentions great gifts in verse 1, the gifts of back then even of speaking in tongues. You can have great gifts in the church, but nothing without love. You can have great faith. Uh, he says in verse 2, faith so as to remove mountains. But if we have not love, it's nothing. We can have all knowledge. We can have a very sound doctrine. But if we have not love, even that is nothing. Verse 3, if we have great activities and service, sacrifice and generosity, that's all very important. But if you have not love, with that, then it is nothing. So think about what we would do as a church if someone in our church denied the Trinity. We'd say that's, that's a big problem. Uh, if someone is denying that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh or someone denies the inspiration of Scripture, we, we as members, we would all be on the red alert and we'd all be very concerned for that person falling into false teaching. And so... What about this? Isn't it just as important that if there be lack of love in us or among us, that we would be on the red alert and see that this is a serious problem that we need to deal with? Truth and love are essential to a healthy church, and we always need to remember that. Uh, I wish we had time to, to read 2 John, but I recommend, uh, if you would like, maybe this afternoon, go and read 2 John. It's it's an amazing letter that in just a short amount of time combines the importance of truth and the importance of love. We must believe the truth about Christ, but we must also follow the command of Christ in loving the way that Christ loved. 
So both of those are essential to a healthy church. So that's what's at stake. Everything is at stake if we don't do this. We also need to think about what we're up against. What are we up against? Well, let's look at Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20. So I'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 19 and 20, probably another passage you have heard before. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are 15, 15 works of the flesh Paul mentions. Uh, I think I, I counted it a couple times. I think I counted right. 15. Now five of them have to do with lust for pleasure. So that would be uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and then drunkenness and orgies in verse 21. So those are five. Five of them about lust for pleasure. Two of them have to do with false worship. That's in verse 20. Idolatry and sorcery. So we're at seven. Seven out of 15. But what about the rest? Then we have eight. He mentions eight more. Starting in verse 20. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And I know there, you probably have different translations. They use maybe different words, but the concepts, I think, are, are basically the same. Eight. Eight of those that I've just read have to do with relationships. They have to do with how we deal with one another. So is it a coincidence? I don't think so. That out of 15 works of the flesh that Paul mentions, he tips the scales over 50%. He said, you know what? I want the majority of the works of the flesh that I mentioned the majority of them I want to focus on relationships. So here's the point of looking at that list. What we are up against is that when we are unbelievers, when we have our sinful flesh, one of the great ways that our sinful flesh acts out its rebellion against God is through all of these things. Uh, in many ways, our rebellion against God is acted out, our sin is acted out in how we treat other people. Through our anger and dissensions and rivalries and fighting and jealousy and, and envy. And so thankfully, uh, when you are saved, you get a new nature 
We are to walk by the Spirit, and so uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't expect that this is going to mark the church as a, a bunch of Christians getting together. They should not be like this. But you do, we do need to remember that this is what we're battling against. We're battling against not just these other lusts or against false worship, but we have to battle with our flesh that wants to create all of these things, wants jealousy, wants anger, divisions, and envy, and, and all these things. So this is important. I know it's basic, but it's very, very important. We got to make sure that we are walking by the Spirit, not by the works of the flesh. So now let's look at what Sibs talks about how to do this. Now he starts in chapter 4 by talking about how Christ doesn't quench the smoking flax. He sees grace in the little spark. Now he gives many examples, but I want to focus on Revelation 2. Uh, if you want to turn there also in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. And look at how Christ uh, speaks of the churches. Sibs points out, uh, to quote him, he says, In the seven churches we see that Christ acknowledges and cherishes anything that was good in them. Anything good. So if he can find some good... Christ is going to acknowledge it. I'll just use the first example that comes up in chapter 2. So chapter 2, this is to the church of Ephesus. In verse 2, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And we'll stop there. Think about that charge in verse 4. You've abandoned the love you had at first. And I'm, as far as I know, I'm interpreting that as their love for Christ. Jesus is saying, you don't love me anymore. And yet with the seriousness of that charge against them. You don't love Jesus, church. That's pretty bad for a church, right? Yet, I can still point out, you endure, you work hard, you, um, uh, in verse 3, you're enduring patiently, you're bearing up, so maybe persecution, they're enduring persecution. So he points out many good things. Uh, that's not how relationships often go, is it? Right, if, if, like, think of a marriage. You don't love me anymore. But you know what? You're a very patient person. Like, that's, that's not how conflicts go. No, when you say you don't love me anymore, you often bring along with that many other attacks on someone and their actions and their character. But that's not how Jesus treats us. He points out the good things. And so he does that with the church in Pergamum. We won't read this, but and he also does it in the church in Thyatira. Paul also does this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, the end, the very last verse of the book. 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 
Paul ends the letter, 1 Corinthians 16, 24, with, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And you know what he said throughout that letter? He said, you guys are envying each other. You're dividing. You guys are tolerating immorality in your church. You guys are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. You're denying the resurrection, chapter 15. You're suing each other, chapter 6. I mean, we can go on and on with all the problems in Corinth. And then he ends, but I, I love you. My love be with you. So he finds sparks of grace so that he can love the church. So Sibs says, page 24, a man for a little smoke will quench the light. Christ, we see, ever cherishes the least beginnings. Christ sees the spark and he cherishes the spark. He can compliment you for the spark. But man will see the smoke, and even a little smoke, and will say, ah, snuff that candle out. Man for a little smoke will quench the light. So here's the rest of the lesson of the chapter of what he talks about. Here's the question then. Do you quench others for a little smoke? Do you just, you're, you're done with people, you get frustrated with people, you get angry with people, because of the little smoke, because they do something that bothers you, something that makes you angry. And you just want to respond with uh, condemnation, snuffing them out. And so if this is how Jesus sees other people, this is how we need to see other people. This is how you want Jesus to see you. This is how you want others to see you, right? You don't want others to make a judgment about you because of one annoying thing that you might have done. You want others to look past many of your faults. So shouldn't this be how we treat one another, how we treat other people? Can you say about people who frustrate you or make you angry, can you say, I know your works. I see good things that you do. So here's a symptom. Here's a symptom to see if you have this problem. If you can't see any good in someone, you have a problem. You likely have anger and bitterness within you. One of the ways you know you have bitterness in your heart is that whenever their face pops up in your head or someone mentions their name or whatever it is, whenever they come up in your mind, you immediately go to something that angers you about them or that you don't like about them. If you can never think about anything good about them, this is a sign of anger and bitterness in your heart. Now, I, I suppose that there are some people who maybe all they've done in our lives is hurt us. And so there, there are some people like that. But I'm talking about like just the most people who Maybe you just, you don't like that much or they frustrate you some. And, but is it all that you think about? Are the ways that they frustrate you? Well, that's a problem. You know, think about some good things about them. You might have some uh, objections here. You might say, well, what about their sin? Does that mean I, I never tell them if they're sinning against me, if they're hurting me? Do I just let sin slide? 
Doesn't this just encourage people? If we're just, oh, well, let's look past it. Let's all look at the grace in each other. We're just going to let each other just sin against each other all the time. What about church discipline? Aren't there times when we're supposed to confront bad fruit? You might think that this means you become a doormat. Everybody just steps on you all the time, and your job is just to never get angry whenever people just constantly offend you. Well, those are good questions, uh, and he's going to talk about those in, in the rest of the book, so I'm not really going to answer that question. But there is balance, and he is going to give balance. So we do have to deal with people's sin. Um, but the focus for now is looking for people's sparks of grace. So I, I picked out three things that he tells us from this chapter about what to do. So that's the rest of our, our time. Three things to do. Number one, be an encourager. Be an encourager. Sibs, on page 25, says, Many, so far in us lies, so far as in us lies, are lost for lack of encouragement. Many of us are lost for lack of encouragement. Maybe, maybe you're like that. Like, what do I do? What, what am I good at? I don't know what to do in, in you know, whatever situation because nobody ever tells me if I'm doing anything good. So maybe you're lost for lack of encouragement. Well, we need to be encouraging one another. Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So your tongue can give people life or it can break people's spirits. Uh, you know, the verse in Hebrews 10.25, it tells us that we should not neglect to meet together, but as is the habit of some, we should not neglect meeting, but we should encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So why not neglect meeting together? I think most of us would say, well, because we're supposed to come and praise God, but that's not what he says. Don't neglect meeting together because we need the encouragement. We need to get together as the church to worship God because that getting together encourages us. And as we're together, we're supposed to be encouraging one another. If you're a church member, if we could like write a job description for a church member, I think this would be one of the points at the top of the list. What is one of your jobs as a church member? is to encourage one another. That's one of the main reasons we gather. Now maybe our lack of encouragement is because, unlike Christ, we have a critical spirit. Critical spirit is what Jesus warns about when he says to take out the log in your own eye before pointing out the speck in your brother's eye. So one pastor used the example of eyesight. He said that a lot of people have clear vision, but poor depth perception. And what he meant by that is that a lot of people can clearly see what's wrong in another person. Well, you can see people's sins. You can see their weaknesses. But you have poor depth perception to see how to help them how to see what they could be in the future. 
that one day they could be more mature, one day they could, uh, you know, see, get past this sin. How can you help this person conquer this speck that you see in them? So it's very easy for us to clearly see specks in people's eyes. And that's, that's the point that I'm, I'm making. To be an encourager, you have to look past all the specks. You have to not be the type of person that is always saying, yep, that's what they, yep, yep, I, I know all the ways that that person is immature, does something wrong, frustrates, makes me angry. And so this is why we need to take Sibs's advice to be an encourager just, just means you're going to pick out signs of grace. Look for the specks, not of people's sin, but the specks of grace, okay? And say it and tell them. We need to be not people who find faults with others, but who find grace in others. Number two, he tells us to focus on the more fundamental points of the faith with immature believers. Focus on the more fundamental points of the faith. So he's talking here about our interactions with people. This is what he says on page 25. It is not the best way to assail young beginners with minor matters, but to show them a more excellent way, train them in fundamental points. Then other things will not gain credence with them. It is not amiss to conceal their defects to excuse some failings, to commend their performances, to encourage their progress, to remove all difficulties out of their way, to help them in every way to bear the yoke of religion with greater ease, to bring them to love God in his service, lest they acquire a distaste for it before they know it. So he's telling us not to jump on immature people for their immaturities. Maybe it's Doctrinal, maybe it's the way people say things. Um, maybe you've seen this video where R.C. Sproul is at a Ligonier conference and he corrects John MacArthur. MacArthur is talking about Christ. He says, Christ is fully God and fully man. And R.C. Sproul cuts him off. He's like, you should have said, you should have said, Jesus is truly God and truly man. And then he goes on to explain fully, you know, you can't be full of two different things and you can't be 100% this and 100% that. He says, no, it's truly God and truly man. Well, that was John MacArthur, who was, you know, he's a teacher. He's been teaching for decades. Uh, yeah, he, he should be corrected by someone like R.C. Sproul, right? But now don't leave here. And every time someone says, Jesus is fully God and fully man. You're going to jump on them and say, well, R.C. Sproul said that's the wrong way to put it. So that's, that's my point. Someone who is younger in the faith, and even, like, I mean, I've said that lots of times. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, if someone says that, we don't jump on them, right? If they've been a Christian for six months, you don't, you don't tell them, oh, you, just, you don't know the Trinity, you don't know Jesus. So you overlook defects. Now that's a, that's a very um, you know, superficial, easy example to, to think about. But he's not just talking here about doctrine, he's talking about behavior. 
What if an immature person acts like an immature person? What if they act immaturely in their faith? What if they sin? What if they sin against you? Well, this is what Sibs is saying. Your call is to bear with the person. So here's the symptom chart again. Do you get frustrated if someone acts immaturely? Do you get irritated by that? Are you, are you focusing on less fundamental points, as he would say, less important things? Because, you know, maybe you're expecting someone to act like really godly. Well, why do we expect everyone to act as the most godly? There are people at all levels of faith and maturity. And so you need to know how to look past and deal with those issues. So the immaturity of something that frustrates you, maybe, that's their problem that they need to deal with. But you also have a problem you need to deal with. If that immaturity angers you or frustrates you, then that's your problem. And so this conflict is revealing a problem on your side, too. Romans 15.1 says, we who are strong have an obligation, obligation to bear with those who are weak. Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another in love. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, love bears all things. Um, just think about what that word bear means. It's bearing a weight, right? So I kind of think about it as like someone's trying to push a door open and you're trying to keep the door shut. And so here's a person that is, maybe they're sinning against you. So they're, they're frustrating you, irritating, they're making you angry. And you have to have all your strength to keep that door shut. Right? You could just, you just let, let the door open and you can, you know, you're going you're gonna to yell and you're going to argue and you're going to fight. Uh, you know, hopefully you're not like actually punching people. But we do this with our words and our attitudes. We, we beat people up because we get angry. And so uh, you have to bear the weight of the strength of this person. Um, or think of the weight on top of you, right? This person is like trying to push you down, trying to get you to sin in the way that you respond. It's your responsibility to not respond with sin, with anger, with frustration. So it's a command to, to you. If you don't bear with these people, with the person, then you have an immaturity. And maybe, maybe this is why uh, these things are so hard because it reveals our sin. And when you have to interact and you have to deal with people that maybe frustrate you, what that does is it constantly reveals your need for holiness, your need 
to conquer your anger or your lack of love for that person. So it shows a problem with you. On a related note, uh, still under this point about dealing with um, the uh, lesser points, uh, deal, you know, not focusing on the lesser points, the immaturities, um, as far as the church goes, we also just need to remember as a church everything that we agree on. Um, so in, in our particular church, there's a whole lot that we agree on. Um, I think mo more than most churches, uh, you know, it's not that we, we just agree about Jesus or we just agree that the Bible is true, but we're very specific about all the things that we believe as a church. And so we're agreed about those things. But, you know, even here, we can find things to disagree on. And those disagreements can become rifts. And we can disagree about personal things, about uh, what a person or a family does and how they, how they do things in their family and the way they live their life or, or a practical issue in the church that's not, not a doctrinal issue, but it's just the way that we do things. We can start disagreeing about all these things. And our flesh, because of that, that dissension and rivalry and envy that's in our flesh, we can start to create rifts in this. And so, and so Sibs is reminding us, here's the point, is to always remember everything we agree on. Step back, take a deep breath. You know, if, if you don't like this certain thing or the way a person does this, step back and say, you know what? Here are so many things that we actually have in common. Why don't we focus on those things? Thank God that we have all of that in common. We have all this unity in our church. So this is another way uh, to continue to love one another. Okay, last point that Sibs mentions is to labor to give no offense and take no offense. He says this on page 26, if you have the book. I've quoted this before, so maybe you know this line. I think you should memorize this line. It's not the Bible, but it's a good line. He says, it would be a good contest among Christians, one to labor to give no offense, and the other to labor to take none. And then he goes on, the best men are severe to themselves, tender over others. It should be a contest. I'm going to compete with you to not be offended. And you're going to compete with me to not offend me. <laughs> to try as hard as you can to not offend me. I, I compete to try to not offend you. And we're also going to compete to not take offense. Notice the word labor. It's work. It takes work. Relationships, I think we all know, relationships take work. And I think sometimes uh, in the church, we want rest because we have drama in the family. We have drama at work, the workplace. And we think, man, I just want to come to church on Sunday and not have to work work with these relationship issues. But that's not the way the church is. Relationships take work. Labor 
to give no offense and to take no offense. So remember, try not to be an offensive person. You don't always have to get your digs in. You don't always have to critique someone for your, you know, the speck that you see in them. You don't have to point out every little thing someone does wrong. You don't always have to express all of our opinions about every little thing that we think about one another or about the way somebody does something. So labor to give no offense. Also remember to labor to take no offense. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is a man's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers an offense. So, uh, a lot of times, relationship issues happen because there's misunderstanding or because one person is very sensitive about this thing and you don't know that they're sensitive and so you do something and you're not trying to offend them, but they're sensitive. So your job is to, if you know that, don't offend them. But this person's job is to understand that person isn't actually trying to offend me. Uh, they're not trying to take a personal jab at me. So think the best. Sometimes, sometimes um, I, here's what I do. I make a list in my head. Somebody maybe did or said this. Now here are the five ways I can interpret that. One way is I could interpret that as, you know, they were trying to offend me. They were trying to make me angry. But I make the list. Well, they could have meant this. They could have meant that. They could have done this. And I try, you know, when I'm being my sanctified moments, I try to say, you know what? There's a 90% chance that somebody said that to try to offend me but there's a 10% chance that they weren't trying to. So I'm just gonna believe the 10% because I don't wanna carry this grudge. I don't want bitterness. I don't want to have this offense against them. I'm just gonna overlook the offense. They offended me, but there's a 10% chance that they weren't trying to do it. So I'm gonna go with the 10%. And sometimes that's just the way we have to live. That's what Paul means when he says love believes all things. You believe all things. So examine those symptoms in your life. We need God's grace to help us do this. Let's uh, conclude in prayer together. Our God, we see how the works of the flesh are evident in the world and unbelievers and how our flesh still uh, comes back even in, in our relationships with people. Lord, we pray that you would give us the spirit, that we would walk by the spirit. We know, Lord, that you have given us new natures in Christ. We know that we have the spirit in us and yet you command us to walk by the spirit. And so we pray that you would do this work in us and that we would submit ourselves to you, uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would be more and more like Christ. We desire to be conformed into his image. We pray, Lord, that you would shape us, 
that you would file away all of the, the sin that entangles and covers us so that we would be made into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to help us to do this by your word and as we have fellowship with each other throughout this day as a church. And we ask, Lord, that our worship in a few minutes would be honoring to you that you would work through this to continue to grow us in the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.